0: To see each one of you here this morning, and uh, and as you will find out later on, we'll be baptizing uh, two this morning. And after watching Friday night and our our uh, youth meeting we have each month, the meeting with the Timothy team yesterday morning, and considering everything that's going on, it's just yeah. How could you not be excited and thrilled at all of the blessings that God is doing? And yet, uh, every time you turn the TV on, the radio on, or pick up something to read, even in Christian publications, it seems like all we hear about nowadays is the troublesome times that we live in, and that's a valid point, because it's tough for everybody, isn't it? It's complicated, it's confusing. We don't understand why. And just when strong churches are needed most, uh, all of a sudden churches are closing at a record rate more than ever before. Pastors are leaving the ministry at a record rate like we've never seen. Churches have drifted off into apostasy. Apostasy. That is, that they've left behind the old cardinal doctrines of the faith and they've embraced new theology, so to speak, and just totally thrown God's word in the ditch. We've had to deal with the pandemic, politics, failing economy, and we don't know how bad that's going to get. And dealing with all of these difficulties can get. Can get depressing if you stay focused on those things. And sadly, sometimes we focus on those to the extent that we forget about all of the good things and all of the things for which we ought to be thankful. We're so blinded by our burdens that we lose sight of our blessings and and that makes everything worse whenever that happens. And another problem associated with that is whenever we start thinking that we've got to deal with all of those uh, difficulties and we, we develop this Mr. Fix-It attitude. In other words, we've got to get a different party in the White House, so, you know, and so uh, there are churches that are going off full force now into politics, it seems like, for the next couple of years so they can get the party they want in there. I'm all for voting I believe every American ought to vote, but uh, it's it's not the work of the church to get so involved in politics that we forget why we're here. And then we think about all of the other problems that exist, and I'm talking about things that only God can change, and the best thing we can do is put our focus on the main thing, and I'm going to show you what that is here in just a little bit. But the question is, in light of all of this, things that we can't do anything about, basically, uh, at least we can't make a wholesale change, we can be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, but beyond that, it's what God does. But how are you going to spend your life? You know, it's a common thing to ask young kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? Probably every parent, you know, and you've had it happen to you, you know, it's school. What do you want to be when you grow up? And I'll guarantee you right now, all of you older folks like me, you're thinking back over the years to what it was you wanted to be when you grew up, and it wasn't anything at all like what you consider to be important now. The question is not what those kids might have thought back then, but what do you want to be what do you want to be as a member of lakeway baptist church as a child of god what do you want to be more importantly here's the real question what does god want you to be because that's what matters the most and let me tell you if that doesn't matter to you you're going to be a failure regardless of what else you do if god's will isn't important to me I could be a multi-millionaire. I could be the most popular person in the world and everything everything that I could ever want and I would be a miserable failure. The good thing about it is we don't have to wonder what God wants us to be. And I want you to turn in your Bibles over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse number 13. 1 Timothy 1, verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober. That's serious-minded is the implication there. And hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad you have that to look forward to? That Jesus is coming and he's reminding us of that. And in light of that, he says, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end. So many folks give up all hope. And then he says, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the form of lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy. So be ye holy in all manner of conversation." And that's talking about your walk rather than your talk. It includes your manner of life. And he says, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. I don't think there's anyone that has so much to be thankful for uh, as a Christian. And we see that if we read the first part of this chapter, just looking back through the verses He speaks here about a living hope, an inheritance. I'm talking about an inheritance in heaven as a joint heir of Christ. He says that we're kept by the power of God. Aren't you glad that you you don't have to just hang on by your fingernails hoping you'll make it to heaven? We are kept by the power of God. He gives us a reason to rejoice in these first verses And a purpose in our trials and the promise of the Lord's return, joy unspeakable, assurance of salvation. That's just some of the believer's benefits. And we read all of those things and all of that raises this question. How then should we live in light of all of that? How should those blessings affect us? What are we going to do? And We don't have to guess about it. Verse 13 or 14. 15 and 16 tells us that God says be ye holy for I am holy and that involves all that's mentioned previously and it includes everything that follows after that and there's no phrase that could sum it up better as to what God wants from us what God wants for us the problem is we we just don't hear much about holiness nowadays do we don't hear much preaching on the subject of holiness. There's a lot of preaching on the subject of happiness because everybody wants to be happy. And nobody wants to be holy. Heard about one preacher. He had preached on holiness, and after the service was over, everybody was going out, and here was this one young man going by, and he—I'm tell you—he was just drooping. Looks like he's half dead. He had that look on his face that caused the pastor to ask, what, What's wrong?" Is something wrong with you? He said, it. He said, it's hard to be happy when you got to be holy. You see, that's the way a lot of people think. Right. That if I'm going to be holy, I can't be happy. And nothing could be further from the truth. And yet seldom is holiness even mentioned nowadays. And yet God says, that's what I want. And we're saying we're not really interested in that. And the problem, part of the problem is a lack of understanding because most folks don't understand really what holiness really is evidently. And it troubles them just to hear that word holiness. Immediately immediately they begin to think about that group of charismatic called the Pentecostal holiness. Pentecostal holiness and they begin to think that must be what they mean. They're trying to get us off into this charismatic movement or something like that. Not a thing in the world wrong with the word holiness. It describes exactly what God wants for us, from us. But they think that it means some kind of fanatic. They think about women with you know no makeup on and wearing dresses that are dragging the ground and dressed in old, drab-looking clothes and sour faces and cranky attitudes, trying to impose strict standards on everybody else. They think about legalism when they don't even know what legalism is. But that's what they think about when you get to talking about holiness. But actually, the word holy is very simple to understand. It simply means to separate or to set apart back in the Old Testament when they had the tabernacle and then the temple and those articles of furniture, all of those articles of furniture were holy, which simply meant that they were set apart for that specific purpose. They were not to be used for personal purpose. They were to be used in the worship of God. They, they were sanctified. They were holy And whenever we think about the Christian's life, it has to do with us being separated, separated as it were from the sin that's previously been in our life. But not just separated from sin, but separated unto God. You see, if all you do, some people say, well, I repented of that. Because they gave up something. They quit drinking. They quit this. They quit that. They think that they've repented and everything's all right. It's not all right unless you're separated unto God. You're separated from sin, but you're separated unto God as though you are presenting your life to Him for His purpose. It's a turning from darkness unto light. And if the thought of pleasing God by doing what God demands, if that troubles you, let me tell you, you've got a serious problem. For God to say, look, this is what I want, this is what I expect, this is what you need, and for us to say or to imply, I don't care. I don't care. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to live the way I please. I'm going to make my own choices. I'm not going to let you dictate to me by those commandments. I'm going to do whatever I want to do because that's what makes me happy. At least that's what you think, but it never works out that way. Now, this morning, I want, I want you to notice from our text here some reasons why we need to be holy. Look at verse 16 again. And here we see it's because of the example of his character. Notice, because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. The example of his character. Here is God himself setting before us himself as our standard or our pattern for the way that we ought to live. And that being the case, we ought to conform to him in every possible way. Paul said in Ephesians chapter number 5, he says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. You ever realize that holiness is the chief attribute of God? You You never hear any of the other attributes elevated to the third degree. The Bible says God is holy, holy, holy. It never says God is love, love, love. Never says God is faithful, faithful, faithful. Never says God is good, good, good. Okay. Even though all of those things, you know, are true, but it's only in the reference to holiness that we see that specific attribute elevated to the third degree. And let me remind you that God wrote the Bible like He wanted it to be written. He did that on purpose, for a purpose. God is good. God is perfect in all of His ways. And that's exactly what he desires from us and for us. And it, it, it ought to matter to us. And I, maybe somebody's thinking, well, I just don't understand what's the big deal, why we, why we got to be so fanatical about what we believe. Boy, I'll tell you, those of you that have been saved anywhere along my timeline, you look back and you see how it was back then and you see how things have changed. And I've often thought or often wondered, could it be that we were wrong whenever we, uh, when we preach so hard against certain sins? Whenever we, you know, demanded this and demanded that, this is what the Bible teaches. I don't believe we were wrong because there's scripture for everything that we talked about. If we were wrong, we owe a generation an apology, But yet we have all of these changes taking place today and nobody, so to speak, making any mention of it. Nobody denouncing sin anymore. Nobody calling it out anymore. Listen, if holiness causes us to be like Jesus, if that's being like Jesus, by the way, it's easy to see what Jesus was like And think about it, if we're like Jesus, and I know none of us, we're all imperfect, none of us are completely like Jesus. None of us, and we never will be until we get to heaven. We're in this process called sanctification, wherein we are growing into the likeness of Jesus that someday will be realized only when we're in His presence. But think about the importance of this matter of holiness. If we are like Christ we'll be righteous wouldn't you agree yeah. if we're like Christ we're going to be gracious we're going to be loving we're going to be compassionate we're going to be forgiving we're going to be wise we're going to be humble servant-minded faithful and true and the list goes on and on and on and can you imagine what a different world this would be if every professing Christian was like that follow the example of Jesus Boy, that ought to be the desire of our heart like we sang about a while ago. Holiness brings healing to us, healing to our relationships. It brings help in a time of need. It brings happiness and it gives us hope. That's where our hope is, is in knowing that what we're doing is pleasing unto God. Because if what we're doing isn't pleasing to God, we don't have any hope except except hope that God will be merciful when He deals with our sin. Verse 15 says, we're to be holy in all manner of conversation. Every area of our life. You know, it's easy to put all of the emphasis maybe on one particular area of our life and just neglect everything else. But he says we're to be holy in all manner of our life. Now, that means for that to happen, we have to perceive the holiness of God. We have to keep in mind what God is. We have to pursue after it. And then we have to project that, and we will project that to others. And that's why we ought to never stop growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. As I've often said, when we stop growing, I don't care who you are, me, you, anybody else. As Christians, when we stop growing, when we stop making progress, we're backslidden. I mean, you don't have to go back to the bars and back to the drugs and back to all of the other stuff in order to be backslidden. All you have to do is to just neglect your spiritual life to the extent that you're no longer making spirit, spiritual progress in your life. You're just not going. You're, As I've said so many times, you're stuck on stunted. Just right there is where you're at. Because of his example, that ought to give us a desire, as the song says, to be like Jesus. We Look at verse 13. There's another reason. And here in verse number 13, we see that it's the expectation of his coming that ought to calls us to want to be like Jesus. Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, our mind controls our actions. What what we think is eventually what we do. What we believe determines how we behave. And if we truly believe that Jesus is coming again, it's going to cause us to, to live a life of holiness. In fact, over in 1 John, in chapter number 3, it says, Every man that hath this hope, speaking of the coming of the Lord, every man that hath this hope purifies himself even as he is pure. And it's pretty obvious to some folks, they don't think Jesus is coming back. At least he's not coming back in their lifetime Because they make no effort to try to live a life of purity, no effort to try to please God in the standards and the morals that He sets before us. Look over in Second Timothy for just a moment, in chapter three, and here again we find Peter speaking about the end times, the day of the Lord, in verse number ten, will come as a thief in the night. Then verse 11 is seen then that all of these things shall be dissolved. That is, you're going to burn up this present earth and renew it, recreate it as it were. And seen that all of these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be? And he doesn't stop there. Notice, what manner of persons ought ye to be? And he tells us. In all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of the Lord, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Boy, if somebody doesn't care anything about righteous living now, you'd sure be miserable in heaven because that's all there's going to be. The expectation of his coming. I don't think there's ever been a time that I, I felt like the coming of the Lord was any nearer. Since I've been saved, I've always believed, and I still believe he could come any day, any time. But boy, I'll tell you, there's just, there's just something going on I told the fellows when we met yesterday, I said, well, y'all still here in the world didn't end. They looked at me quizzical, and and in case some of you didn't know, there's a bunch of people that had predicted that the world was going to end yesterday on the 24th. It's supposed to be a solar flare, they said, and we're done. It's going to happen, and you can't stop it. it. Isn't it tragic that so many people will believe nonsense like that? But I'll tell you, whenever we say Jesus is coming and he could come today, that's the truth because God has promised that's what's going to happen. That's the blessed hope for every child of God. I don't know about you, but I sure don't want to, I don't want to be found out of his will. Then there's another reason. Look at verse 17. We ought to strive to be holy because of the examination at his coming. Notice what he says. And if, if you call on the Father who without respect to persons judgeth e- according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Now remember he's writing here t- to believers and he says, if you call on the Father who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it talks about the believers. It says, we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. All of us. That's not to determine whether or not we've done enough that we're going to be able to get into heaven. That's already a done deal is to determine the degree of our reward based on what we've done here on earth. Right. Thank God our labor is not in vain. Amen. I'm sure that there are some folks that wonder sometimes is because you've been you've been serving God all of these years and then it seems like everything starts going wrong and everything starts coming apart and and uh, you just feel like giving up hope sometimes. It'll ever be better. Oh, it's gonna be better. And God takes note of all that you've done. Nobody else might notice it. We've got folks here in this church that do things that nobody else knows. They don't insist, well, you gotta publish my name. You've got to make it known that I did this and I did that. No. They're not looking for they're not looking for praise. They're just looking to please the Lord and My, my, to think about in that day when they stand before the Lord and the reward that awaits them. If we love God, and we claim that we do, those professing to be Christians, we say we love God. If we really love God, then there ought to be a determination in our heart to be as much like God as we possibly can. It's a healthy fear of God, by the way, because the Bible says, for the child of God, in Hebrews chapter number 12 and verse 5, he talks about the chastening of the Lord. Whoever the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and he scourges every son that he receives. That's why I keep saying, no one ever sins successfully. Amen. You never get by with it. Sometimes we get so worried about, well, so-and-so did this, and it did that, and boy, they're getting, oh, no, no, nobody's getting by with anything. God's got it all covered. And he knows how to handle it, by the way. and We should get as close to God as we possibly can and become as much like him as we can possibly be. Now look at verse 18. And here's the final reason I want to share with you. Might be a reason that you've never really thought of. I hope that's not the case. Will to be holy because of the emancipation of the cross. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation. Received by tradition from your fathers but with the precious blood of Christ. As of a lamb without blemish and without spot this verse deserves our serious consideration it reminds us that we never outgrow our need for hearing the gospel we talked about that last week i think the week before before we were saved the bible tells us that we were slaves to sin we were enslaved we were in bondage and we couldn't break free When you come over to Romans chapter number 6, you begin to read that we are now. We've been set free and we are now what? The servants of righteousness. And there are no words to describe how wonderful that is. We've been forgiven of our sin. We're being delivered from our sin. We've been reconciled to God. Like the old song, the record's clear today. For he washed my sins away. The old account was settled long ago. You see, that's only possible because of the price that Jesus Christ paid for us. And because of that, we shouldn't look at holiness as a matter of rules and regulations. But rather, we think of of it being a love relationship. That he loves us and because of his love, we love him. You see, loving God, that's the key to everything else. The more we love Him, the less we are attracted we are to the world. Somebody says, well, I can't understand why so-and-so did this or did that. I don't understand why they're living that way. Well, like it or not, it all gets back to the degree of our love that we have for the Lord. Because loving God has a way of restraining us from the lust of the flesh. It holds us back. Thank God that He loved us and we come to realize the greatness of His love that we then begin to love Him. And whenever we love Him, there's no need for laws and rules and regulations and the threat of punishment or anything like that to control us because now we want to please him because well we love him. Oh how churches, how Christians need holiness. a spirit-filled Christian changes everything. for example you consider the consider the fruit of the spirit mentioned over in Galatians chapter 5. And this is what happens whenever we surrender ourselves. The, the, the Bible uses that phrase, filled with the Spirit. That is, we live our life surrendered to Him under His influence. And when that happens, the fruit of the Spirit look, that's not things that we do for God, that's what things that God does for and through us. God produces those things. Whenever the Bible tells you to love others, I'm going to tell you right now, if, if it's all dependent upon you trying, you're going to fail. We can't love our enemies any more than we can jump over the moon. We, we can't do it. It takes God to do that. But he gives us a list there uh, uh, that all make up the fruit of the Spirit. And think about all nine of those things being present in the life of each and every member of the church. Let's change that a little bit. Let's think about the opposite. How it would be if we're filled with the Spirit, we display the fruit of the Spirit, notice what's going to be taken out of the equation. Fruit of the Spirit, love, hatred is gone. Says it's joy, now sorrow is gone. Says peace, the anxiety is gone. Long suffering, revenge is now missing. Gentleness, now rudeness has been taken out of the factor. Goodness, well, that gets back to treating one another kindly and with respect. Faith, It gets rid of the doubt in our life and the worry and so forth, meekness. Now pride's gone. Because the Spirit of God would never have us to be proud about anything we've ever done or tried to do. And then the last one is temperance. That's self control. Imagine if there is a lack of control and you look at the world today that we're living in and we see how vividly that is missing in the world. Oh, so many times, you know, well, uh, people uh, do things in wonder, and wonder and their answer to you will be, you know, you ask your kid, if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. Why would you do that? Why in the world would you do that? Lack of control. And with maturity comes the ability to control one's impulses. And when we're talking about spiritual maturity, especially, it becomes all that more important that we, it's not that we are controlling ourselves, we have relinquished our control for the Spirit's control. He is in control. Now, let me just kind of sum all of this up. You know, when I was reading in Acts here a while back, I was thinking to myself, there's absolutely no limit to what could be accomplished in a church full of Spirit-filled Christians. That's the way it was on the day of Pentecost. And they were all filled with the Spirit. I, I can't even wrap my mind around that. Like, really? All of them. But let me tell you, ever since that day, looking down through the pages of history, churches have been going downhill ever since. And the problem is, so many times, you know, we, we, my, we pray for just about everything except the thing that we need the most, which is holiness that's produced by God when we're filled with the Spirit. We want everything to change. We want the world to be different We want the workplace to be different we want everything to change except ourselves we see everybody else's faults except our own let me tell you the best hope listen carefully our best hope for seeing others change is for others to see a change in us We'll never be able to shame someone into changing, not at least not on a permanent basis. You can't berate them and just on and on and on and expect them to change. We can't cause others to change by any direct action on our part, but when they see a change in us, all of a sudden they begin to change without us even trying to change the other person. The other day, I, I told Brother Kenneth, I said, uh, "Really pray for the message Sunday." I I've been praying and praying, and want and I think this, I believe God laid something on my heart, and it's like no sooner did I uh, ask him about it, and and it's like God said, "You got it all wrong, son," and. And I could not shake the feeling that I needed to preach on this subject this morning. I tossed and turned all night. I was restless. I, just, I wake up in the middle of the night, and this, that's all I could think about. I was so shocked. I tuned in Friday night. Now get the picture. This is a bunch of young people having their monthly youth meeting and the song service starts and guess what they sing? Holy, holy, holy. Now I'd already decided and knew this is what God wanted me to preach. I sure didn't expect that. Let me tell you, when you look at a church with a bunch of young people that are interested in singing those old hymns that have so much theology in them, you've got something good going on. You're not going to find that in the average church because in the average church, you get a bunch of young people together. Boy, they've got to be, yeah, you know. You know what they want, and we don't got it here. Let me close with this. If what we need the most isn't what we want the most, things always get worse instead of better. If what we need the most, now make that personal. If what you need the most, which as a Christian, what is it? What's the word? Holiness. It's what I need, holiness. But if what I need the most is not what I want the most. And you see, by our very actions and attitudes, we reveal to others and and to God exactly what we're most concerned about. I think this church and every church all over just an old-fashioned, old-timey prayer meeting where we just pour out our heart to God. I know we've got folks that pray every week for our Sunday services, and I'm so thankful for that. Amen. Sometimes sometimes we need to do a bit of that praying before we even leave the building. Now, if there's someone here today that has never received Christ as their Savior, some of you are going to be shocked here in a little bit when we get ready for the baptism. And by the way, last week, it's already been announced about Michael, hadn't it? I, I was just so hoping he could be here, and he couldn't be here. No fault of his. He couldn't be here today. I was just anxious to, huh? Oh uh, Michael Mills came to realize that he had never been saved. He had been active in church, he'd been brought up in church. I remember I remember watching Bubba we have, we have a work day and Bubba bring his little rats and you no. Know, Glenn would always have those boys there and and watch them grow up and uh Boy you know one memorized all of those verses, got involved in working for the Lord and uh, boy, I, some time ago I, we witnessed a drastic change in Michael's life just boy, like God did something. And I'll never forget Brother Kenneth and I was talking about, Brother Kenneth as you know worked so much with the young people and he said you know I I feel very comfortable about uh, Michael uh, teaching the young people and so that's where he'd been for some time now but all of a sudden the Holy Spirit reminded him look you've been doing all of this religious stuff and you've never really truly been born again and Mike was saved. And because of the business situation and he, he's in a training process and he couldn't miss. He, he's not here this morning, but, but it's so thrilling to see what God is doing. And Amen. We have another baptism next week. We've got two here in just a little bit. Amen. But if you're here today, it might be that, uh, well, you might be a member of this church. It might be you've, you're involved in the church even. It might be that nobody su- su- suspects you as being unsaved. Nobody's made that accusation by appearance. Boy, everything looks good. Like I told you folks, I was pastoring my second church before Bev realized she needed to be saved. Now she had come up as a Little girl going to church won these little awards for attendance and stuff like that. I didn't know anything about the Bible. She knew more about the Bible than I did, and I've often said she best pastor's wife I ever knew. And even that first year, I I, I could talk for an hour about that. I I was so shocked. Whenever I come to realize she. Told me that I, I'm I'm not saved. And there might be someone like that here today and you're thinking to yourself, Oh, I I I can't embarrass myself getting up in front of all of those people. I I just don't I don't have the courage to do that. Which well, a whole lot better than dying without Christ and going to a devil's hell. Let me tell you, you don't have a promise you're going to be alive tomorrow. This might be the only opportunity you'll ever have. If you're here and you do not know beyond any shadow of a doubt that you're a child of God, we're going to give you that opportunity during this invitation to come. We'll do everything in our power to help show you that you can know that you're saved But the bottom line is this. It's all a matter of you putting your trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And when you do that, what happens? The Bible says you become a new creature. Old things pass away. All things become new. In other words, the one that saves you begins to change you. Are you ready for that? Maybe you're here today, and you could be the most spiritual-minded person in this church. I don't know, but you're here, and and maybe you're feeling deep down inside. Brother Stone, I'm just so troubled by this world and where it's headed and all the problems going on that I've lost sight of the fact that that what God wants from me more than anything else is not to vote for the right person and do the right thing and all that. God wants me to become a holy man or a holy woman, and I've just I've just let my eyes get off on other things, and I'm gonna I'm gonna refocus this morning. I'm gonna start looking unto Jesus, the Author and Finisher of our faith. Whatever God's speaking to you about this morning, would you come as we all stand together? Tim's going to come and lead us in this invitational song. Father, I pray this morning that that you'll do something unusual, something that's even unexpected, something that maybe we never even imagined. And Lord, we just pray that the Holy Spirit at work in our lives Lord may the Holy Spirit remind me again and again of, of my faults and my failures and, and Lord don't just remind me help me Lord help me to be what you'd have me to be and Lord I pray today that when we leave here it'll be with a new determination that we're going to seek after those things that you desire most for us and that is a life of holiness we want that Lord not for ourselves but we want it that you might be glorified in others being able to see not what we can do but what you've done But we pray in Jesus' name now as we stand and while we sing, would you come?